Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pacino, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Mr. Aaron Ferguson, on the line with us today. Aaron, how you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. Thanks, John. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. Can you uh, give a quick introduction of who you are to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a software developer and photographer based out of Ottawa, Ontario. Um, <clears throat> I've been basically, I guess, uh, a software developer for the better part of around a decade and a half and have been interested in photography since about 2015. Um, and over about the last year or so, I've I've really gotten into the the crypto art space as an extension of my photography as well. Very cool. Um, give me sort of a rundown of like career path patterns, life. Like, how does one go from software engineer and developer to photographer to crypto expert, etc.? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I don't know that I would call myself an expert. I would. Um, well, I mean, I would. I would say. Uh, <laughs> aid or helper in the crypto space for sure. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. Like, so, um, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you like a quick kind of like uh, walk through. So, um, when I, when I was a young teenager growing up in Atlanta, Canada, uh, I, I got really interested in technology and in particular in, uh, computers and the, the fact that you could basically give instructions to a computer and um, no matter what, it kind of had to follow them. <laughs> uh, and um, I was kind of like a geeky and sporty kid. And so I found that like pretty appealing and interesting that um, I had this, this machine that I could basically untap limitless creativity through and, and really only being limited by my own imagination and, and time that I um, had to put into it. Uh, so, um, I ended up, uh, doing quite well in the, the programming courses in, in high school. And then I went to the university of New Brunswick where I got a bachelor of computer science <clears throat> and, uh, I moved to Ottawa, uh, probably, I think it was around 2005, 2006, I, I came here on a co-op education uh, placement through through my program and just kind of immediately fell in love with the city. So I've, I've been here since then. And um, kind of once I uh, get started getting a little bit more entrenched in my career path as a software developer, um, it, I guess that like creative spark wasn't really necessarily there that had, um, really pulled me into it at, at, at the beginning. And so I was just kind of, um, flitting from one thing to another, like, uh, you know, different types of, uh, musical instruments, different sports, kind of trying to find something that like really, um, uh, just would obsess me again, I guess. And, um, almost accidentally, uh, I, I, um, met some people who basically are backpackers. They travel around the world and, um, just basically couch surf and, and meet people from different cultures as, as they're traveling. 
and it's kind of a way to to get to know <clears throat> um, how people really live in in these different locations. Like you're not just uh, traveling with a bunch of um, other people from uh, predominantly, I guess, Western countries and staying in hotels. Uh, and so before that trip, I, I bought a camera and I backpacked around Turkey and Germany oh, wow. and I came and I came back and, um, had naively kind of presumed that because I had a, a decent camera that I was going to end up with really great photos. And in, you know, in retrospect, uh, that was really naive of me. <laughs> um, and, when I, when I looked at what I had shot, I was just quite disappointed that it hadn't really kind of captured the, the like excitement that, um, that I had felt while I was there. So, uh, I ended up doing a part-time, uh, photography certificate program here in Ottawa, uh, for a couple of years. And since then have been, um, basically doing more education on the side. Uh, there's a, a school here called the School of Photographic Arts of Ottawa that I've I've been doing some occasional part-time studies at. And just kind of, I would say, it's, it's completely consumed all of my life outside of work. Uh, my, my entire apartment is just full of photo books and prints and uh, different cameras and... Um, it's just kind of been, I think, kind of like a second career calling almost in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then through the photography, um, I uh, have, I guess it was a few years ago now, I, I started doing prints and, and starting to sell some of my work online. And I became... Um, curious about what alternatives there were out there for folks who wanted to basically sell like digital representations of, of their art, because I thought, you know, there's only so many people that want a print. And if I could like use a marketplace like Samsung frame and put my work on that, then, you know, anyone could have it on any screen in the world. And just a little bit of investigation into it didn't really turn up anything that's felt all that compelling. A lot of them felt kind of um, awkward and clunky for, for solutions until I, I learned about NFTs um, at the beginning of 2020. I'd say it was maybe like January, early February that I heard about Beeple, read about... Um, what NFTs were, and I, I hadn't really, I don't actually, I didn't own any crypto because I hadn't really seen a compelling case for me to have crypto at the time because I just thought, okay, like it's just like a currency online, but I didn't really have any need for it. So, um, so crypto hadn't really excited me yet at that point, and I, I read some some of the criticisms about nfts and you know especially like early 2020 there was a lot of rhetoric around mm-hmm. right click save and the environment and and all this sort of stuff um and so i just kind of thought yeah well okay maybe like maybe it's not really for me but i thought about it for i think maybe like two weeks three weeks and the more i thought about 
um, like things like provenance and just the reach that you would have with with people, as well as the fact that it's basically a an immutable database um, that kind of addresses issues like uh, deplatforming by Instagram or anything like that, which is especially kind of um, as an artist uh, appealing to me. I, I just basically did a total about face and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to try it. And at, at the time I was really deep into a scenography project. And so I, I looked online and I, I basically couldn't find any scenography work in, in NFTs. So I thought, okay, I have an opportunity of becoming like one of the first scenographers in the world potentially to, to mint NFTs. That alone is uh, cool. Um, so why don't I just try it? And since then it's just like, uh, yeah, it's been, um, a wild ride, <laughs> a, like a flywheel basically where like, it's just been, okay. Yeah. Like at first it was like four or five hours a day in the NFT space. And then it was like eight hours. And now it's probably like nearly every waking moment outside of work. Um, much to the chagrin of friends and family, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's been it's been really exciting, I think, um, to be kind of on like the forefront of, of the big revolution. But that's that's kind of how I got there. Like having that tech background, I think, kind of helped me see that it had a lot of potential. That's cool. Um, for those listening that don't know, what's a scenography? Yeah, sorry. Uh, I did totally blow right over that. So scenography is... Um, basically, uh, you're using a, a scanner in place of a traditional camera. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, there are some advantages and disadvantages to, to scenography. One is you don't have a whole lot of control that you typically would have, uh, like especially with like a manual camera. Um, but you can get really detailed resolution out of uh, whatever it is that you're scanning to the to the level where like a camera that would be able to do that kind of resolution would be tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and so it, it's pretty financially uh, within reach to be able to do. But I mean, you you are quite limited with what you can do. But the the high res scans of my work are they lay somewhere between 32k resolution and 64k resolution somewhere nice. about like half halfway yeah between i think one of the reasons why i was initially drawn to your work like you said is because you're i think you're the only person i've encountered in the space doing what you're doing you still very well might be the only person in the space doing what you're doing um and just some of the flowers that you've put onto the uh nft space um you know the 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 scans that you have minted on on the blockchain are 
I mean, it's of course a fucking audio podcast. It's not the best place to just talk about <laughs> art, um, but we'll uh, we'll share some of them in the in, in the social links. But man, they are just incredible, incredible images, and so very cool. Um, I'm curious, you know, you, you. I, you, uh, I feel like a lot of people go through a similar path in you know maybe late 20s, early 30s, where they're looking to sort of fill up their time with a hobby, whether it's like mm-hmm. you mentioned, musical instruments or photography or art or whatever it might be. Um, what was it about photography that's stuck versus some of the other things that you had tried out to uh to do in your free time i think i think what it was that um that really was the difference was that it, it unlike my day job it was a a chance to actually get away from a screen and to and to go around and um even explore my own city some um I, ever since I've started carrying a camera around, I've become a lot more aware of like little mundane, interesting things, even in my own neighborhood that I, I think I never would have paid a second glance to at all. Um, and and like that's not to say that I, I don't appreciate, um, you know, like reading or anything like that. Like I absolutely do. But kind of like after a long day of of um coding it's nice to get a little bit of a break from <laughs> from the computer or yeah. or from just sitting on a stool right mm-hmm. i also i also like that um with photography um there's a little bit of a tech element to it as well potentially as well as um you know you can still be analog if you want to there's lots of experimental processes that people are are doing, and um, the the space is also just so large. Like there are so many genres of photography, and so th- it's it's just this like whole different world that's I guess in a lot of ways like quite quite different from being a programmer, you know, being a, being a programmer, there's a lot of like rules, uh, and conventions and even APIs that I have to be, uh, respecting and mindful and following. Whereas with, with art, like I can kind of break a lot of rules or I can Mm -hmm. just kind of do what I want. And, um, and it's very subjective. Right. So, uh, so I think that that is a, a thing that appealed to me as well. I, I also thought, it would be um, it would be nice to potentially also be able to someday maybe earn additional income through it as well, which I didn't really see myself accomplishing by playing guitar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, especially if you heard my guitar skills, you would really understand. Totally fair. Um, as a, <laughs> as a person who also happens to own, um, two guitars, um, which was part of my journey into becoming a photographer, I can relate to that tremendously. Um, you know, I, I think it's funny how the, the pattern or the path, so to speak, to photography is different for each person. Uh, for me particularly, it's how I got to this place is just an, an incredible sort of uh, journey from very regimented 
work life balance to now I can do whatever the fuck I want and I make a living doing the thing I love most. And I think in a lot of ways, that's super rewarding. Um, you mentioned making a secondary income as what I would consider as like sort of a unicorn type uh, producer in the Web3 space. I don't know what light, uh, you know, what type of success you've had uh, selling NFTs and collections and one of ones, etc. Um, but do you have you had a successful journey to date? And like, how is that sort of process unfolding for you in the space? Um, and then also being that you are sort of very unique in, in what you do in, uh, from a photography perspective, um, do you have maybe any trouble sort of finding like your niche? I mean, you have a niche, but like finding like your audience for your niche. Right. Um, yeah, I would say I've definitely found success. I've, I'm completely sold out on primary now. Fuck um, yeah, that's awesome. So I've, I've minted and sold 50 NFTs since, um, since March of 2021. Amazing. Um, I, I, as far as I am aware, and, uh, it's unfortunately kind of hard to know definitively just due to the vastness of the space. But as far as I'm aware, I, I am one of the first, if not the first, scenography artists who who minted work on both um, OpenSea and Foundation. Uh, I would say it's probably quite likely that I'm the top selling scenography artist in Web3 in, in the world. Um, and I've got some pretty uh great collectors uh like my second sale ever went to mark cuban holy um, shit yeah that's and fucking like, wild <laughs> i know uh it was it was very surreal um and uh then you know like some people in the web3 space like sartoshi uh punk 6529 uh jake the Gen, uh like there's there's lots of really well-known collectors uh, great well-known collectors who've collected from me and uh, photographers as well um like from from obscura uh aleandro cartagena fernando galagos um I mean that's fucking I know incredible. I know I'm forgetting. I know I'm I mean you don't have to list people, everybody. They're yeah, not, they're no, not going to listen sure. anyway, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, mean that's incredible. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's um it's I would say that it's it's definitely been a challenge though due to the fact that the the platforms are I think very PFP and collection minded mm-hmm. and focused and towards individual artists uh it's kind of an afterthought still so so it's really required a lot of pounding of the pavement and a lot of um just kind of constantly blasting my work out there and and trying to network with people uh because uh, my my work kind of uh to date in web3 has been what i call um like conceptual topographies so they're like a, a uh, topography collection that there's like a metaphor and a meaning behind it. Um, with muted, it was about, um, like being isolated and, um, like my declining health as well as a play on words of my colorblindness and, and kind of shutting out social media during the, the early, um, timeframe of the pandemic. Um, that's, that's the scenography collection that I have out. Um, I also conceived of and shot on the spot um, 
35 millimeter film uh, collection called GM, um, which was um, about uh, trying to to look for more of the positives in, in life instead of the negatives. And it, it was literally the letters GM were spray painted on the ground, um, demarcating where the gas mains were in my neighborhood when they were tearing <laughs> yeah. up the streets. Um, and then my most recent collection uh, is iPhoneography. So I, I just shot it on an iPhone uh, and it's called Perspective. And it was about... Um, kind of challenging the the biases and ideas that people have as and again from my own perspective of like what is valuable um like what what other ways are people living and what other things exist in the world that are outside of my typical like day-to-day uh reality that i experience um and and so the like you know that's why it was shot on iphone and mostly not in focus um and that one was fun because i actually played with the the pricing of the work too where the the subject is is, it's just a flower but as you uh as the perspective kind of backs away from it a little bit more of the surroundings of other flowers in behind it uh, are revealed and uh so i started with the most like narrow, most self-absorbed kind of perspective were priced as low as like 14 cents. And then uh, as the perspective widened, I increased the value. Um, So that was fun to play with because, you know, a a gallery wouldn't let me put something on the wall and charge 14 cents for it. So (laughs) I I like the freedom that I have to kind of play a little bit in the space, but it's definitely still quite early days and it, it is hard to find collectors if you're if you're not putting a lot of work in Mm -hmm. i find anyway um it is kind of the nature of the work too like uh, you know you you look at my work and you don't necessarily know that it's a conceptual piece unless you stop to read about it right um so yeah i think i answered your question you did very well no don't no need to apologize my my biggest gripe that i have with this space is uh at times it's exhausting in the amount of work that you need to put in beyond creation. Right. So like they're just the act of creating your art takes a lot of time and effort and energy. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to double or triple or quadruple that amount of time to find people who will appreciate the work that you've created. And a lot of times the space pits creators against each other in a way that I don't find very healthy. It's, it's like, it can be very toxic at times. You know, people are undercutting each other from a price perspective so that people can get sales. And I've treated the web three space pretty much as like just a playground, right? Like I've created everything that I want to create to date and I've priced it how I wanted to price it to date. And I'm not going to let anyone tell me what I'm supposed to do one way or another. And I'm very confident and comfortable where I'm at because I've made the decision to do it that way. But it can be so overpressuring and overbearing for people to feel like they've got to drop their prices lower so mm-hmm. that it'll get collected or sell out a collection so that they can make more work. And at times it's just very toxic. And I and I don't I don't love that about the space. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm in quite a few uh, like group chats with with other artists in the space. And, uh, you know, I would say that a lot of the time the mood overall is 
one of being discouraged uh, because, you know, like not, not everybody is um, fortunate like I am to be able to work from home and to have flexible work hours to be able to kind of like switch in, uh, back and forth and like, okay, I need to take a little bit of a break to like discuss some things with some collectors and then I'll go back to work. People have families. Um, I, I joke that like one of the worst opportunity costs of Web3 is having any relationship of any kind um, <laughs> because it takes away from you missing a, a like, you know, wrecked guy yeah. whitelist or whatever. Right. And um, the the. Uh, but you're you're definitely right. I think people who are uh, in a position where they've like made the leap and said, "I'm just going to be like a Web three crypto artist," um, like they're under a ton of pressure. I think, and and I don't know that the market is able to handle too many full time artists in the space. I don't think uh, so con- consistently yet. Yeah, and it's too new. Yeah, like, you know, um, it, well, it is and it isn't. NFTs are uh, like about four and a half or five years old, but like, but they were really new even two years ago. Like, the, there were there were not many people minting and selling them, and when they were, you know, ETH was, I don't know, sixty or seventy dollars. Like, yeah, it was, it was low, yeah. right? Yeah. And and now I think one of the big problems that we're encountering as artists who are minting on the Ethereum blockchain is that um, I think that a lot of people with uh, Ether are worried about becoming the next, uh, I bought two pizzas with 200 or two billion dollar worth of bitcoin sort of situation right with with ether going up so much in value i think people are quite hesitant to spend it um and do you think uh, do you think of that when you I, i guess create not necessarily invest in the space because like for me like when i create my work i don't think of it like oh i minted this for say sixty dollars right on a on a foundation piece or whatever thirty bucks or whatever it costs to mint and then yep. I don't necessarily think if I price it at one eth I'm not like thinking about it conceptually that it's gonna go from like two thousand to twenty five thousand. I don't I don't know. I mean that that run will take quite a bit, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but you know, you never know. The thing is who knows, right? No. Um so I I don't because I am um, I think when, when I joined the space early last year, there were not too many photographers in the space. And in fact, there were not many artists that were, um, making, uh, art that wasn't like generative art or, uh, or like 3d mm-hmm. or animated. And, um, and it was a tough time. Like I had a lot of people tell me like, what are you doing? Like what floral photography doesn't belong in NFTs? Like, or, or like you're asking way too much, like you should be selling those for like $30 or whatever. And so I, I think just like, I have a little bit of, um, 
a stubbornness to me where like I want to see this this space like grow into something and actually um, take power back from some of these web 2.0 platforms that have put artists in a really tough spot for the last five or six years. Um, like I, I gave up on Instagram because of how impossible it was to get any traction. And I, I don't know if I've ever made any sales off of like organic uh, uh, discovery of my work through Instagram of people who didn't know me in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and because like, that's not, that's not what the purpose of Instagram is. The purpose is to maximize ad revenue for Instagram right? and to exist as an artist in that space. And then uh, to be threatened with being de- deplatformed or having posts taken down uh, if it, you know, is at all offensive. Um, I mean, art is supposed to be offensive a lot of the time. It's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to make you question things. It's not always supposed to just be pretty and um, wholesome. And so uh, I I really want um, to be able to look back, you know, um, a few years down the road from now and say, wow, like, I'm really happy that like those, cause I haven't taken anything at like all the sales I've had, I've put back into the space. Um, because I just think that, uh, that's the only way it's going to grow. Yeah. Right. I think and, that that's one of the hard things about it too, because like when I make a sale, I immediately go buy one of my friend's pieces. Right. Oh yeah. So it's like, it's just a big <laughs> circle jerk at this point. Right. It's just like me helping Joe, helping Tim, yeah, helping Becky. Exactly. And it's like, boop, 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 we're just fucking jerking each other off. It's like very yeah. frustrating. Um, but, but beautiful in a lot of ways because it, it's, it, it at times does feel like a very rewarding place to be a very uplifting place to be. And if you can like tune out all of the negativity that is also surrounding the space it yeah. can be wonderful there can be there can be like you said that toxicity there can be the occasional comment like you know if someone tweets about like oh hey i made a sale there's inevitably someone that's going to comment saying oh i still haven't had mine i can't <laughs> wait and it's like hey you know what let's not make this about you yeah. like please like yeah, on shut, my, or, shut up. yeah <laughs> or you know like i'll post my work and then someone will post uh, something similar and be like, Hey, like stop hijacking my own. Like it's not, it's not how I want to be interacting with yeah. people in the space. It's also, you know, um, Twitter's got a bot problem and like a big time oh, problem. Yeah. Like I, I like tweeted the other day, I bought a buddy of mine's photograph and I got like five DMS of people like, Oh, buy this for me. And like, Oh, but I'm like, bro, I spent fucking $60. Why do you think I'm like a freaking whale? Like collecting. It's just like, <laughs> It's a very yeah. bizarre. It's a bizarre time, and also very great. And I'm, I'm, and and what's nice about it is, it's afforded me a lot of wonderful connections with people. Right, like you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now were it not for this space. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and so like that alone is is what is so um, like energizing about about this time in the space. Um, and admittedly, like last year, last year before I kind of got a little bit of a groove and, and started getting some interest in my work, like it was tough. And, and I remember what it's like starting out and, um, and you kind of, you kind of think like, 
oh my God, it's going to be so different. Like I'm going to find collectors, like all these platforms, they're all about, and you realize, oh no, no, like OpenSea isn't going to help me find any collectors. <laughs> yeah. Um, foundation isn't going to super rare. I, I'm not even going to be able to be on super rare. Um, and uh, like, and so you realize that there's a whole lot of gatekeeping just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have to like really, uh, just bullshit your way through that first like thousand followers or so to, to even start to get anyone even remotely interested in, in interacting with you. And, and I mean, you can kind of understand because there are so many scam accounts that have low followers that people are hesitant to, to engage much with, with new accounts. Um, but it's rough. Like, like, uh, I, I know when foundation was taking a 15% commission, um, like that, that really hurt, uh, having that much go to the platform when like they were, they were just sitting there. Like I was driving the collector to, to buy the piece and, uh, and, you know, gas fees were really high at that point too. It was like $120 to, to mint $120 to list $120 to settle. (laughs) And, and then I'm like, cool. All right. I made, I made 800, but I, it cost me 600. All right. I'm, I'm getting ahead a little bit, but well, and you know, then, then like, I guess half of that 200 in profit would be tax. Like, you know, you're really not getting anything. And I think that's why, that's why, like, if, if you're able to be, um, if you, if you're able to be doing this in addition to whatever you are beforehand or in addition, like I forget who it was that I saw, they posted earlier today, that they really recommend that the best way to exist in the space right now as an artist is to, is to not be all in on, on NFTs because then you don't get really nailed with the bear Mm -hmm. and you, and it can just be, it can be genuine and chill. And when it happens, it happens and you don't, you don't be stressed and depressed. Totally. I I mean, I gotta be honest, like ETH tanking and like everything that was going on with Azuki and all that shit in the space. Yeah. That didn't affect me. I'm like, cool. Now you could buy my NFTs for $50 instead of $150. Not really what I planned, but I guess that's yep. the game that we're playing and it is what it is. <laughs> yep. Um, so you you mentioned that uh, you collect a lot of photography, prints, and, and photo books. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your inspirations and sort of like where your creativity stems from and sort of like what pushed you into the, the, the genre that you're sort of working in now. Well, so I think originally I I am more of a street photography and and portrait photographer. Uh, and during the pandemic, I didn't really get a chance to do too much of that. And like empty streets just weren't really all that interesting to me because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was doing empty street photography um, as well as at the at the end of 2020 i ended up uh on life support for five days Holy shit. Uh, what because i was i was unknowingly living undiagnosed for a few years with type 1 diabetes oh wow uh which very nearly killed me um the and i lost my eyesight for a couple of months oh, uh, like it was it was a whole ordeal to go through uh 
And so a, a lot of my work has been um, since then, uh, while in isolation through the pandemic, waiting for vaccines, yada, 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 um, has been kind of about uh, myself and yeah. about pro- processing everything that I've gone through. Um, and uh, so, and like I said, their, their topography. Um, so um, the, I think like a, a big influence is the uh, Bashers. I'm probably pronouncing their name wrong, but like they're, they're a German couple from decades ago that they kind of like founded the, the uh, topography sort of um, genre, I guess. Um, they did like a lot of uh, like eight by 10 photography of um, industrial buildings in Germany. And you see like a big influence in their work, like anything that's like a series is more or less influenced by them. Um, like Aliandro Cartagena, his um, Carpooler series is like very much a, a topology, big influence of, of them in that. Um, and uh, so I, I just found that uh, like by doing a series, I can, I can present like a, a, several images of a similar subject matter that all all together are kind of more interesting than one on their own. But then the whole thing acts as kind of a concept or a metaphor for, for whatever I'm kind of working through as part of that project. Um, But I, I would say, I mean, you, you name it, like I'm, I'm all over the place for, for uh, photographers. Um, I don't even I don't even want to think about how how many books I have, but let's just say I'm completely out of. I'm I'm just like looking over <laughs> next to my desk, and there's just stacks and stacks and stacks of books, like all the way up to the ceiling. Yeah, I um, have a I have a studio, <laughs> and somehow once a week, a photo book accidentally finds its way into my fucking mailbox, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing, yeah. John? Literally, I don't have any. I've got a very big coffee table for a very small apartment, and I don't have any space on it, so I bought an end table. That fucking end table is covered in photo books. I'm like, okay, dude, you. I have like a problem. It is a compulsion. Like, I someone recommends a, a photo book on Twitter. I'm like, oh, eBay. Oh, uh, Done. Amazon. Yeah. Cool. Oh, it's only forty dollars. Cool. Bing. And it's here. Yeah. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> it's to me, it's the best problem to have though, because it, like, especially um, given how we're we're so at the mercy of the algorithm and we don't even realize it like there's so much really great art out there that we don't get to see yeah and and we have no control over whether it comes across our feet or not like at all and so i like i love a photo book because like i can have an intention and i can say look like i i want this art i want and then i can look at it and not have it auto scrolled away by twitter or anything um, and just uh, like, um, it's even scary to think of how much artists have been forced to conform to these mm-hmm. algorithms Yeah, and how much that's affected art and culture. Yeah. Um, in that regard, the, I give you a lot of credit for 
taking an art form that is not common and not replicated across you know a thousand fucking people on instagram <laughs> i mean no no but for real because it could be very simple and very easy for your work to never be seen by people but like here you are blazing a path in a space and being like your own version of a one-of-one as an artist that's got to feel fulfilling and rewarding absolutely yeah yeah it's uh, like if it hadn't been for for having photography and art i would have had a really tough time over the pandemic because of like all my, all my health issues and everything that I was dealing through. It's definitely been an escape. Um, and, and for a while I was, I was really worried about whether or not I was even going to be able to take photographs anymore because like I, I could not see my, my eyes were completely out of focus for weeks. Um, so uh yeah can can you uh can you talk to me a little bit about like i mean i think we're probably roughly around the same age i'm 36 i would love to know what you know being a young person and sort of dealing with the process of thinking about their own mortality sort of like affects you on like just a basic level oh absolutely so i I, so i have said this to to some close friends that I, i actually i kind of wish that everybody could have their own near-death experience um not actually obviously because of how traumatic it is to go through um but like statistically i should be dead and the fact the fact that i didn't die is incredibly fortunate and and kind of crazy um like my my blood sugar level when i went to the hospital was 41 millimoles a liter the normal range is 3.8 to 10. Holy shit. And and anything above like 32, 33 is like well in the Diabetic like 50, 50, range. Yeah. yeah, 50, 50% chance of being fatal. And um, so my, my nurse told me that his, in, in his entire career, he had never seen anyone conscious in the 40s at all. Wow. Um, and the fact that I like drove myself there, walked in and said like, I'm not feeling well and I haven't been feeling well for a long time. Um, but I think I'm just like super stressed due to the pandemic, uh, like what's going on sort of thing. Um, the the thing that, I mean, I, I've I've had a lot of time to reflect and to, to cope and I've been really fortunate to uh, get um like therapy to to kind of work through some of this and also my art has been kind of therapy as as well um but it's it's given me no fear like i have no fear now because every day that i wake up and uh i'm still here that's an that's an extra day that i wasn't actually supposed to have Cause I, I look at it like I cheated death. And so that's why I went for it. Like, that's why when I saw the NFTs were a thing, I was like, well, what do I have to lose? Nothing. And so I, I went ahead and, uh, and started putting my work out there. I was like, well, what's like, I'm going to regret not trying. And, um, like it, it was the same thing with, uh, so I had, um, a, a print from muted, uh was purchased by the city of ottawa for their permanent public art collection wow, amazing. um 
And, and that's because I just thought, well, like this project is so personal to me. Um, uh, like I, I have, I actually, it's funny because I used to have imposter syndrome a little bit about my work, but I've had none around any of the work since I've made it about myself hmm. because, because uh, like, I know what I'm going through and it's so meaningful to me that it, any, any external validation of, of sales or, um, uh, like people telling me that they like it or not, like it, it almost is kind of like a nice secondary positive, yeah. but, but like, I'm happy with it and it, and it's really meaningful to me. Um, and so, but again, I I've just been putting my work out there because, uh, you know, I almost didn't get a chance to, um, so I think, yeah, it's really hard to, to put yourself in the shoes of someone else unless you've, you've lived it yourself. Like humans, for whatever reason, we have a really hard time empathizing with other people who, are, who have a different experience and reality from ourselves. But I think like if, if people listening can kind of imagine like what are, what are some things that if I were to get like another chance, what are some things that I, that I am doing or, or going through that I, that are not fulfilling, are not satisfying and are not actually helping me achieve my goals that I want to have out of life. Um, and like, what can I do to change it? And and like, that's basically all that I, all that I do now is I just think like, I only have so much time. And, uh, if, if something isn't furthering what my, what my goals out of life are, then, then I'm not going to, not going to be as likely to, to put the time and effort there anymore. Dude. Whereas I would have, I would have before. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was distracted and all over the place and thought I had all the time in the world. Right. Yeah. I think beyond the fact that that all of what you just said was an, an incredibly beautiful sentiment. I think that one of the sad reality or maybe possibly the saddest reality of life is that as human beings, we only have the ability to like have that sort of level of retrospection and perspective for the future when people around us die or if we're unlucky enough to have a situation like you had mm -hmm. where our own mortality is comes into question right so it's so it takes these sort of tragic instances in life for us to like sort of shake out of the fog that our probably cell phones and lives uh, consume us with to realize that dude we're here for a, a blink of an eye like a the the speed in which I've gone from zero to thirty six is the most alarming thing I think I could have ever <laughs> yeah. encountered, and and the speed in which I'm going to go from thirty six to dead is going to go even quicker, and yeah. it's it's the the real fear in life. You mentioned imposter syndrome. I don't have it either. Um, the real fear is that I don't not that I don't accomplish something. It's that I don't even try. Right. Like a yeah. lot of what I'm doing in my life now is because in the middle of the pandemic, I lost my job and I lost my way. And I was just like in the abyss of life. I had no fucking clue who I was or what I was or what I wanted to be. And in a way it was like this really freeing experience because it put into focus what is and ultimately should be the important things in your life, your health, 
your happiness and the health and happiness of the people in your life. Because stuff doesn't matter, right? Your car you drive, the watch you have, the house you live, that mm-hmm. shit doesn't matter. It's all cherries on top of a Sunday of life. And I, I really, really, really uh, relate to what you said because I haven't had any personal health issues, knock on wood, thank God. But like, I think about death all the time. Like it's on my mind. Like I would hate to die tomorrow and I didn't do this, or I would hate to die tomorrow Mm -hmm. and I didn't tell one of my friends that I love them. Like all of those things come into play in life when you go through something like a pandemic. And it should for a lot of people not take these traumatic instances to like have Mm -hmm. that sort of um, view on life. And it, unfortunately in a lot of cases it is what, you know, snaps someone out of their, their fog. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's funny how I think I think maybe it's just because it's uncomfortable to think of mm-hmm. um, that that I hadn't really um, thought of it beforehand. Um, I think the, the other thing too was like I was I was quite ill for for quite a while, and I it was the reason that they call diabetes the, the like the silent killer is because it really does slowly sneak up on you and the change is so incremental that you it, it's like boiling a frog in water right like you know like it, you you're not really aware and eventually like the exhaustion is just so intense that you just don't, you just don't have any ability to even be self-reflecting and be like, Oh, okay. Like this isn't normal here. But now that I've got through that, like everything else, everything else that I ever do is going to be easier than going through that. And with purpose. Yeah. And, and so like, that's the, like I was drinking, I was drinking something like five or six pots of coffee just to get through a day Oh wow! for, for a couple of years. Wow. And, and, um, I had a, I had one of those Fitbit, uh, wristbands that, um, it would tell me my average time to sleep was under two minutes. Like so like, I, I, yeah. So I'd like touch the pillow and just be asleep. That was how exhausted I was. And, and because, you know, I was just go, 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 go. And, and so sick that I just wasn't paying attention and also wasn't really able to, it's like, you know, the downside of being single and living alone is you don't have someone to say like, Hey, like, are you maybe okay? don't like, drink two pots of coffee. <laughs> Um, I usually save this question for the end of the podcast, but, um, you know, it's sort of relevant to the topic at hand. Um, do you believe in an afterlife? I don't know. You know, I think, I think probably not because, um, just given like the universe is pretty crazy enough as is. Uh, and, um, I, I kind of feel like, like that's almost mystical enough for me. Like when you, when you think about it, all the variations of reality that can exist in in an infinite universe. Um, uh, that's kind of awesome and scary and crazy to me. And I think that's the other thing why, why I'm like, 
well, I need to, I need to get stuff done now. Cause you know, when I, when I'm 80, then time's up, hopefully 80 anyway. Um, you know, who know, who knows? Um, you know, it's that, yeah. le- that's, it's that level of explanation. Like when you think about the sheer audacity that we exist as human beings and are like having this conversation on a fucking iPad and a computer screen makes me think that there's little to zero chance that there's not something after we die. Right. Like, it's just like, it just seems there, there, there well could be. Yeah. yeah I, I think of it and like, maybe it's just what I need to, you know, ease my weary mind that like, just it's ridiculous that I exist. Right. Out of the millions and millions and millions of sperm, I exist, right? <laughs> I, and I'm a twin, right? So I have a twin. Oh, are you? So I'm well, of all awesome. the sperm, a double egg situation because I've got a twin right. sister. Just the sheer improbability to be born makes me think that how could this possibly be it? There has to be something else. It would just be. That's a good point. Yeah. At least that's like what I tell myself to go to sleep at night. <laughs> I am I am willing to take a few more decades before finding out. Oh yeah, for I sure. Got, I got close. I got close, but I'd like to take yeah. a while longer. No, I feel yeah. that. Um, you uh, you, you being sort of like this unique uh, artist in the space. Um, you mentioned that you don't have any issues with imposter syndrome. Do you deal with any issues when it comes to confidence and like? Um, thinking your work is good and sort of feeling like you are a rock star or has what's transpired over the last year in selling out collections sort of been like validation for you? It's still kind of surreal. Um, and, and it's really funny because, you know, to, to the, like, it's very humbling existing in web three, I would say. Because when you tell anyone out of Web3 what it is that you do, they just kind of, uh, they don't give a fuck, like, at all. <laughs> like, like my friend, you know, there's that that uh, meme of the guy who's, like, sad in the corner at the party who's like, they don't know I, whatever, whatever. My my friends fuck with me by sending me that about skinography, right? And, <laughs> and like, you know, it's true. Like, it's, I'm just kind of doing my own thing and I'm happy doing it. And, like, if it, if it resonates with other people and they um, they see something that connects with them in my work, then I mean that's the um, yeah. I it's kind of I don't really even know how to describe it. It's to me it's amazing that even one other person would like my work. Um, it's uh, um it's definitely very flattering. And, and I mean, I, I love my, my collectors. I have some of the, some of the most respectful collect, like I've never had any negative experience with a a collector telling me what I should or shouldn't be doing. Um, that's great. And which is really fortunate because there are unfortunately some bad apples in the space who, who do put their own, um, their own agenda above that of the artists that they collect. Um, I, I'm, I'm really just kind of trying to have fun and have low, low expectations. And that way, whatever comes out of it can, can be really rewarding and fulfilling. Um, I love that. And like, and I, I view it as like, I'm not, I'm not 
going to leave because every, every day that I'm in this space, I get more and more excited by it and what what possibilities and potentials there are. And I just see it as being this forefront of basically like the next revolution on the web. Mm-hmm. And and if people if people want to own my art and put it in their like virtual galleries and stuff, like I mean, man, how cool is that? Yeah, it's it's a thrill. Yeah, it's like yeah, a buddy absolutely. of mine collected one of my edition pieces and he put it up in his fucking digital gallery that he has, and I was like, dude, what? This is so fucking cool. I was like, that's just so wild. I like it, it is. Yeah, it is. I think what makes it so confounding is that it is at times the most wonderful, amazing place. And at other times the most infuriating and maddening place. And I think, you know, (laughs) people in the early two thousands probably said the same thing about the internet. So like, I get it. We're like, it's got to probably. Yeah. yeah, It's it's, it's like uh, the the duality of web (laughs) three. It's a place of contradictions for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's, that's definitely how I would describe web web three is like people will pay tens of thousands of dollars for, for something that is like really derivative Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of has, um, you know, is like the nth derivation of the same sort of concept. And then they'll turn around and say to like a one-on-one artist, like, Hey, like, what are you doing? Like your art's priced too high. Yeah. Um, and like, to me that's, or, or like people will be like, Oh, you know, bored apes suck, but crypto punks are the real awesome thing. And I'm like, guys, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit from <laughs> someone's perspective. And it's all awesome from someone like, yeah. you know, like, uh, like just let people enjoy what they want. And like, no, I don't view any project as, better or worse than any other one inherently unless unless the whole point of it existing is just basically to extract uh value out of the space and unfortunately there's Um, plenty of those there's a lot of that going on yeah um and and you know then like the the toxicity like i I think especially like the some of the anons in the space really um can uh like come out guns blazing towards like smaller artists and not really or like small art the space and not really think about like what the ramifications are of the kind of like conversations Mm -hmm. that that they're having and and like for me I, I kind of don't really care what anyone does in the space other than like, I want them to have agency to do what they want and yeah. I want them to feel supported and uh, encouraged to break the mold and to try and be different because other, otherwise we've just replaced the, the IG algorithm with a human based one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, I agree tremendously with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 
it's great it's horrible it's wonderful it's all of the adjectives and <laughs> and like I, and I and i agree with you because at the end of the day like i just want everyone like we were talking about like uh security the other day uh via the dms and i was like i just want everyone to have like a okay time here and like maybe yeah. sell some nfts and maybe not get fished out of whatever little bit of eat they have stand. yeah right yeah so like that's what i want everyone to have fun everyone to grow together and like that would That'd be great. I uh, I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing like a little bit of a Q&A. You already sure. knocked off like the hardest question, which was the afterlife question. But so my first question for you will be is what is your favorite book? My favorite book? Oh, man. Uh, okay. Well, so actually I read, I read a really great one about Web3 and Ethereum uh Recently, it's called The Cryptopians by Laura Shin. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. But I think my favorite book that I have returned to multiple times, um, it, it's called um, The Millionaire Next Door. And it's about like personal finance and kind of like misconceptions that we have about wealth and um Great book. like standard of living yeah. and oh yeah you've read it of yeah. Course, yeah i i think um like that that book has had a, a a real impact on how i live for sure ditto which which you wouldn't expect necessarily from like a <laughs> non-fiction but it like it wasn't as dry as i thought it would be but yeah it's it's a really good read i've i think i've read it probably three or four times now I, I keep finding myself going back to it every few years. I often say the greatest regret in my life is waiting as long as I did for like financial literacy. And I'm not talking about like taxes and accounting, right? Yeah. I'm talking about like making idiotic credit card mistakes in my early 20s and not thinking like, oh, 29% APR is going to fuck me in the ass right? Oh, Not yeah. having that level of cognition. As an economics and finance major, I just never, I was like, ah, let fucking future John worry about it. Go get bottle yeah. service. And uh, yeah, that financial literacy is, is a really, really big problem in the world. And uh, I think that is a good example of a book that could go a long way to helping people sort of like scope and, and reframe their mind from uh, from a financial perspective. But yeah, good, good book. What's up? Uh, I think that's probably why like crypto kind of appeals to me a little bit too now as well is that um, I, I do definitely see people having more, more potential for financial freedom mm-hmm. in web three. And, and like, that's really kind of what it's become about for me is like artistic freedom and also financial freedom. And when I have both of those, then I can really kind of do what I want. And, and like, I can just have the most fulfilling life. Yeah. I can just wake up every day and be like, I'm just going to make art and I don't need to worry about anything. Love that. Yeah. It's, it's financial freedom will then aid all of the creative freedom. (laughs) that Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, What's your favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie, uh, Fifth Element. Oh, nice. Is probably my favorite movie. Yeah. Um, that or um, Galaxy Quest is is up there as well. Wow, 
Well, Tim, the uh, tool man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then of course, like the classic, uh, good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. Um, I got to have an Epic in there. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite food? Favorite food is absolutely pizza though. I, I kind of have to dial back the amount of understandably so <laughs> pizza now with the type one. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, kind of fair. Yeah. A little bit of carbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair. Um, what are you most proud of? Um, I, most proud. I think, I think I'm probably most proud of, um, putting, putting my, my art out there. I think like I, I, um, especially at the beginning of 2021, there was a ton of backlash towards people in the NFT space. And I got, I got even backlash from people who I vaguely know in the art space in person over, over doing it. And, um, I just kind of thought, no, you know, like I, I really believe in, the the benefits of the technology and yeah you know there are there are valid criticisms around things like proof of work but like these are these are things that like people even know about that because of how open the space is right Mm -hmm. facebook doesn't tell you what their energy consumption is imagine imagine how outraged environmental groups would be and that they would be lobbying uh, politicians to be doing something like that. That's kind of the absurdity of it is it's like, it is exactly the absurdity of it. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, it's just a database and like you guys don't hate other types of databases that are also using energy. Um, And uh, so, you know, I've, I've just kind of stuck through it and I like, I've helped bring people into the space and, and I've seen them, succeed and and start to do really well as well and um like that's really rewarding and fulfilling and um you know in a way kind of like i'm very grateful the pandemic happened in that i didn't have anything else to do because sometimes i i think gee what would i have done if i could have gone outside probably not any of this yeah no, I think really scary to think about the pandemic in a lot of ways, like prevented my early entry into NFTs. And that's debatable as to whether that would have been a good thing or a bad thing. I'd either made have made a fuckload of money or lost everything, probably. Um, mm-hmm. And then additionally, like it gave me photography, which is like the greatest gift life has ever given me. So in a lot of ways, it's been like the best and, you know also like a traumatic experience as well but the worst yeah the best and the worst it was the best of times it was the worst of times <laughs> what is your biggest fear my biggest fear is uh not like i have a lot of ideas in my head for art that i want to make and my biggest fear is not not creating that uh escape path for me from the nine to five into being a full-time creative uh, and, and getting to get all that out there. Mm. Um, that's kind of really all that I want for, for certain out of life now. Um, and I, uh, I'm kind of in this like weird, awkward stage where like, I really need the healthcare coverage through work. Yeah. Um, but uh 
but it's also kind of limiting how much time I can put into the art side. Um, I know, like, I know I'll get there and I just need to have, again, like a longer term kind of view. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I, I would have a lot of, a lot of deep regret if on my deathbed, I look back and I, I didn't get to, you know, move into like a permanent studio space and just to start doing a lot more like, um, elaborate still life and and things like that that i that i want to do nice um what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you oh the best piece of advice was um oh god i'm gonna draw a blank on his name which is terrible because uh it's my brain's just starting to be tired uh oh bruce bruce gilden oh was, was on it was on a twitter space a little while ago and so this is going to be a tie. It's going to be a tie between Alex Soth and Bruce Gilden. Bruce Gilden, in a Twitter space that he hosted, he said, uh, like, just ignore the criticism from everybody and just do what you think is right. Love and, and because, you know, at the end of the day, it's your life and it's your art practice. And if someone has a problem with it, they're welcome to do it their own way or fuck but, off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I would imagine uh, that's what Bruce just, was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy is very, I like him. He's a straight shooter. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, so Alec, um, I have a postcard from Alec. Soth actually that a, a friend, uh, um, like Alec was doing like a, a Christmas special or whatever, where he was like sending out postcards to people. And so he, um, he wrote on it, uh, to, um, to just keep in mind and like what it was that attracted me to photography in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, when, like when I'm continuing along through my career and I think like the, the, those two pieces of advice are, are really great because, you know, in a way that's kind of. I think that's partially why I don't find the the software path as rewarding anymore is because it's become something very different from what it was when I was a kid and got interested in it, right? Yeah. Like now it's now it's a job, now I have someone telling me what to do whereas it used to be I was just like goofing around and having having fun with it. Um, I mean, that's the reality of once you need to start earning an income from yeah. something, though, is yeah. the, the the context changes and some of the some this of the is, joy goes away from it. This is my biggest struggle because I'm currently living my dream in that I go to work and pick up a camera for for a living, right? And then also right. at times it's like, well, you got to do some jobs that you don't really want to <laughs> do because you know rent is due on the first of every yep. month. And at times, like I've found myself having to like reframe like the fact that what my success looks like now is not predicated on how much money I make or what I'm doing. It's that I get to pick up a camera every day and get paid for it. Right. So as long as I can consciously tell myself, hey, Whatever this job is is not fucking, you know, the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, but it is going to help me continue doing the thing I love. 
once you put that out of your mind, you can really self isolate and 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 keep on doing it because at the end of the day Absolutely. if two years ago you would have told me you know at this time fucking may 31st 2020 that in two years i'd be sitting in my apartment having a podcast with a guy in ottawa talking about nfts and photography i'd have been like the fuck is an nft right yeah, you know? yeah exactly so yeah. life is funny and, and amazing like that um my last question is give me a recommendation for something that you've recently consumed could be a book a movie podcast tv show anything something that you've recently consumed that you'd like everyone to check out ah this is a really good one um something that i consumed recently well, so I, I guess I recommended that book by Laura Shin, but that's that's too recent that uh, uh, I need something else. Um, I have I've just started watching again. Um, uh, oh gosh, this series on Netflix. It's um, oh no, oh no, I'm drawing a blank on it. Uh, Stranger Things. Oh, that's terrible. It, well, no, it's um, it's this uh, it's this cartoon. Oh God, oh, what is that called? No, no, it's not. Um, Big Mouth. Oh, isn't that awful? Oh yeah, um, um, Midnight Gospel. Oh my I've God, been, yeah. I, I've just I just started uh, watching Midnight Gospel again because I I watched it a couple of years ago when it first came out on Netflix and I just started watching it again. And it's if if you like being confronted with really challenging concepts, everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really great, uh, um, kind of terrifying in some ways. Yeah, uh, very gr- very graphic. Yeah, uh, I watched show, the, I watched the first episode. Really I watched the first episode twice, and I was like, fuck. Am I gonna do this? Like, I, you know, this like w- when did it come out? Like you said, like a year or two ago. I watched the first yeah. episode twice, and I was like, the first time I watched it, I was like, I paused it. It's like thirty minutes or so, or whatever. The first episode, yeah. I paused it at like ten minutes in, and I was like, okay. I texted my friend who told me to watch it, and I was like, bro, <laughs> what are we doing here? This is chaotic. And he was like, listen, he's like, you got to get through it and give yourself a chance. And I did, and it became one of those like very. I think anything that is extremely unique and uh, thought-provoking, it, it's going to make you stop and sort of have to re-engage with it more than one time. And Midnight yeah. Gospel is definitely one of those shows, um, which I think is great about it. It is wild and chaotic and insane, but in, in, in a lot of good ways, too. <laughs> yep. Um, dude, Aaron, uh, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today, man. Uh, to say I enjoyed it would be oh, a... Uh, tremendous understatement. Uh, I'm a huge fan of you as an artist and as a photographer, um, and even more so now as a person. And uh, I'm just greatly appreciative of the time. And thanks so much for for coming on. Thank you, John. Um, this uh, for my first podcast ever. I got to say, this was a, a blast. So yeah, thank you very much for having me. And uh, and yeah, it's a, been a pleasure to to interact and. Um, meet you and get to know you better through the space too for sure so that's awesome man thanks so much have a great rest of your night yeah